All right, there, saints, um, it has been a while, but we are about to conclude John, John's gospel. So we find ourselves here in the 21st chapter, the last chapter. And so last week we looked at kind of what would have been the end, where John had made that statement back, back in chapter 20, verse 30 and 31, and truly Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. Sound like that was going to be the close. And in a sense, what he does is he gives one more event that was transpired. And this is one of those things where this is after, of course, his resurrection. He's already revealed himself to the disciples. We looked at that last week where they, in their unbelief, he met with them, he challenged them, he blessed them. We saw his compassion upon them and, and just that ministry that he does to these unbelieving men. In chapter 21, it opens up this, after these things, Jesus showed himself again to the disciples at the Sea of Tiberias. And in his way, in this way, he showed himself. Simon Peter, Thomas, called a twin, Nathaniel of Cana, Galilee, sons of Zebedee, and two others of his disciples were together. Simon Peter said to them, I'm going fishing. And they said to him, we're going with you also. And they went out immediately and got into the boat. And that night they caught nothing. Verse 4, but when morning had now come, Jesus stood on the shore. Yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. And Jesus said to them, children, have you caught any food? And they answered him, no. And he said to them, cast the net on the right side of the boat, and you will find some. So they cast. And now they were not able to draw it in because of the multitude of fish. Verse 7, therefore the disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, it is the Lord. Now when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment, for he had removed it, and plunged into the sea. But the other disciples came in a little boat, for they were not far from land, but about 200 cubits, dragging the net with fish. And as soon as they had come to the land, they saw a coal of fires there, and fish laid on it and bread. And Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish which you have caught. Simon Peter went up and dragged the net to the land full of large fish, 153. And although there were so many, the net was not broken. And Jesus said to them, come and eat breakfast. And yet none of the disciples dare ask him, who are you, knowing that it was the Lord. And Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them, likewise the fish. This is now the third time Jesus showed himself to the disciples after he was risen from the dead. Verse 15, so when they'd eaten breakfast, Jesus had said to Simon, said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me more than these? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know I love you. And he said to him, feed my lambs. And he said to him second time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to him, feed my sheep, or tend my sheep. Verse 17, he said to them a third time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him a third time, do you love me? And 
He said to him, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. So Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Verse 18, most assuredly, I say to you that when you were younger, you girded yourself and you walked where you wished. But when you're old, you will stretch out your hands and another will gird you and carry you where you do not wish. This he spoke, signifying by what death he would glorify God. And when he'd spoken this, he said to him, follow me. Then Peter, turning around, and saw the disciple whom Jesus loved, following whom also had leaned on his breast at the supper and said, Lord, Lord, who is the one who betrays you? Peter, seeing him, said to Jesus, but Lord, what about this man? And Jesus said to him, if I will that he remain till I come, what is that to you? You follow me. When this saying went out among the brethren, the disciple would not die, yet Jesus did not say to him that he would not die, but if I will that he remain till I come, what is that to you? This is a disciple who testifies these things and wrote these things, and we know that his testimony is true. And there are also many other things that Jesus did, which if they were written one by one, I suppose that even the world itself could not contain the books that would be written. There's three things we're going to be looking at here tonight. We'll be looking at the men. And as we look at the men, we're going to see initially is everything that's going on. We'll be looking at the meal, the dinner that the Lord provides, and of course, in the message that he gives to Peter in, in the dual sense. And so as you look at the men, it begins very simply after these things, Jesus showed himself again. Now we recognize, according to this text, it'll be the third time that John says this is the third time Jesus showed himself. So Jesus showed himself and, and at the Sea of Tiberias. So the Sea of Tiberias is the Roman name for the Sea of Galilee. So just so you understand that, that as he calls it the Sea of Tiberias, we understand it's, it's the, the, the Sea in Galilee. And, and so through that, he now shows himself there at the Sea of Tiberias. And in this way, he showed himself. So now he begins to make this point showing the first of the men, the divine Lord. And I love the fact that when he reveals Jesus showed himself once again, recognize that he showed himself again. This constant proof and reproof and reproof that he is risen from the dead. And once again, we begin to see that here they initially don't recognize him. Then they're afraid to even talk to him. Even after he's showed them, they broke bread together. But at this point, we see that here he comes. And I love the fact that Jesus is now revealing himself to his disciples again. And he does so in this unique way. Simon Peter, Thomas called a twin, verse 2, Nathaniel of Cana in Galilee, sons of Zebedee and two others of the disciples were together. And Simon said to them, I'm going fishing. And they said, we're going with you. And they went out immediately and got into a boat. That they, and that night they caught nothing. So I want you to recognize here that after it shows the divine Lord, it then points out the disciples. Now, not all the disciples. They're numbered at this point only seven of them. We see it begins as most lists there in verse 2. It talks about Simon Peter. 
And after Simon Peter, uniquely, this is the first time in the entire Bible that this happens. But after Simon Peter, it doesn't go Peter, James, and John. It's Peter, and then it's Thomas called the twin. He now is second. He's, he's right there. It's almost like he's glued to Peter. Now, remember, we understand who Simon Peter is. And Thomas the twin, if we remember back in, in John 20, verse 24, it says, Now Thomas called the twin, one of the twelve, was not with them when Jesus came. And so we recognize verse 26, and after eight days, his disciples were again inside and Thomas was with them. Jesus, the doors being shut, stood in the midst and said, peace to you. So this is, we understand the, the people call him doubting Thomas. And, and this is that Thomas that was there. This is the Thomas that was not there initially when Jesus appeared. And so it almost looks as if Thomas is saying, listen, I don't want to be left out. <laughs> I, I want to be right with, if God's going to show himself to you, I'm going to be there. And so he's not down the list. He's just like, I'm, I'm right here. I'm second in this list. I'm, I'm pushing my way through. I'm not going to be left out again. And I, I love the heart that he does. And as he, he goes, you have Thomas, then the, the, the twin. You have Nathaniel of, of Cana. And there, as we look to that whole area of Nathaniel, that is where, remember, when John the Baptist was um, revealing the Lord, eventually in John chapter 1, beginning in verse 43, the following day, Jesus wanted to go to Galilee. He found Philip and said to him, follow me. Now, Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. And then it goes on to declare, and Philip found Nathanael and said to him, we found him to whom Moses and the law and the prophets also wrote. And so we, we see here that you have Simon, you have Thomas, and then you have Nathanael. And that is the person that Philip had now brought in. And along with Nathanael, then you have what is called then the sons of Zebedee. We understand this, this is James and John, and so, and then you have something unique. So Simon Peter is number one, Thomas is number two, Nathaniel is number three, the sons of Zebedee, four and five, and then uniquely, and I find this interesting, it says, and two others of his disciples were together, two anonymous ones. And so you don't know which of the 11 these two are. They're just anonymous. And I kind of like the fact that they are anonymous because if you and I are reading, it'd be what? You and me. We have this tendency of saying, you know what? This is what I'm going to do. I'm going to go fishing. And so as you have these seven disciples, all of them are now listening to Peter. Peter makes a statement in verse 3. He said to them, I'm going fishing. And they said, we're going with you. And then it declares this. They went out immediately, got into the boat, and that night they caught nothing. There's two passages, if you're a note taker, I want you to be aware of both found in the book of Matthew chapter 28. The first is verse 10. And in verse 10 of Matthew 28, it says, Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid, Go and tell my brother to go to Galilee, and there they will see me. 
So they were supposed to be in Galilee. But verse 16 makes this statement in Matthew 28. Then the 11 disciples went away into Galilee to the mountain which Jesus had appointed for them. So apparently when they went into Galilee, they were supposed to be at a mountain and they were supposed to wait for the Lord there. Peter had another idea. Peter said, you know what, guys, I'm going fishing. So Peter here goes fishing. And I think it's important that one is be careful to watch the decisions that you make. Why? Because people may follow you. Doesn't mean they always will, but people may follow you. And through this, we begin to see that he says, I'm going fishing. And they say, well, we're going with you. Absolutely amazing that, that here we begin to see that Thomas doesn't want to miss out. Wherever you are, Peter, if the Lord shows up, I'm going to be with you. The others are all saying, hey, we're going to go with you. And I find it interesting that Peter, in a, in a real sense, wants to go back to his old life. Peter was a fisherman when the Lord first met with him. If you're familiar with a passage found in Luke chapter 5, the first 11 verses, the Lord had already seen Peter, had already met him. And then we see this meeting where in Luke 5 verse 1, so it was as the multitude pressed about him, speaking of Jesus, to hear the word of God, that he, Jesus, stood by the lake of Gennesaret, again the Sea of Galilee. And he saw two boats standing by the lake, but the fishermen had gone from them and were washing their nets. And he got into one of the boats, which was Simon's, and he asked them to put out a little from the land. And he sat down and he taught the multitudes from the boat. So Jesus gets into Simon's boat, tells Simon, push it away, and he uses the water as an amplifier. The water begins to just allow his voice to carry. I don't know if you've ever been at a lake and at a lake, you can have people just talking across the lake, and literally the, the, the sound bounces across the water, and you can hear the conversations. And this is what Jesus does. He uses the water as a natural amplifier. And so he gives to them the, the word of God. And in verse 4, when he had stopped speaking, he said to Simon, launch out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. So the, the Lord tells Peter, who's already been out fishing, is now washing his nets, and he tells him, get back in your boat and go out fishing again. But Simon answered and said to him, Master, we've toiled all night and caught nothing. Nevertheless, at your word, we'll let down the net. And so he recognizes, Jesus, you might be a really good teacher, but you're not much of a fisherman. What he realizes is that God is not only a good teacher, but God is what? He's the commander of all nature as well. And so as he does, I love the fact, he says, Master, a little respectful, we've caught nothing, nevertheless, at your word. We will let down the net. And when they'd done this, they caught a great number of fish. And it says this, and their net was breaking. Make note of that. The net was breaking. Some fish were, were escaping. The net was breaking. So they signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and they filled both the boats so that they began to sink. And when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knee saying, Depart from me, for I'm a sinful man, O Lord. 
For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch in which they had taken. And so also were James and John, the son of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, do not be afraid. From now on, you will catch men. And so when they had brought their boats to land, they forsook all and followed him. And guess what they're doing? Going back to the boats. They're going back to their old life. And, and I think it's so important that what we're noticing here is a self-will. It doesn't say that God told Peter to go fishing. In fact, God had said what? Go to Galilee, but go to a mountain. There's a mountain that I'm going to have you wait on. Wait there at the mountain. And I love the thought process of that. Because remember now in the Old Testament, where was Moses? Moses was on a mountain waiting for and talking to God. And this is what here the Lord says, I want to do this. There's a type I'm trying to do. And Peter goes, let's go fishing instead, guys. I love the fact that Jesus is going to meet with them. But but keep in mind that there's a self-will that is being displayed here through Peter. And, And within this, as he goes through this, I want you to recognize here that he catches nothing. And so when he says, I'm going fishing in verse 3, they say, we're going with you. And then it says, they went out immediately. They didn't seek the Lord. They didn't wait on the Lord. They didn't hear from the Lord. And so as they went out, keep in mind, through the self-will, through the self-direction, they caught nothing. There was no fruit. I think it's important to note this. There's a lot of times we have a plan of what we're going to do But when it comes to the things of the kingdom, it bears no fruit. It's important to wait on the Lord, hear from the Lord, listen to the Lord. And these guys, they were just going to do what they were going to do. And of course, they caught nothing. And I think it's important to note this, that Jesus had already told them earlier in the Gospel of John, chapter 15, verse 5, I'm the vine, you're the branches, he who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit, for without me you can do nothing. And it's evident here. It's evident that they could absolutely do nothing. They could catch no fish. And so we we have to be aware so often that before the Lord reveals himself, I want you to see what they recognize about themselves They literally have nothing. They recognize themselves in a sense as empty. And I think spiritually, don't we have to do the same thing? We have to reckon ourselves as as broken, as bankrupt, as empty, as, as having nothing before the Lord. And what does he do with that? He invites us. Come. And when we come to him, what do we find? What's amazing that as he's out here looking for fish that he's going to find out that he's toiling and toiling and not getting anything. And the whole time, what? God already has fish there on the land. He's already having cooking. And so all the things that he's toying with, all the things that he's looking at, is going to be one of these things where you're, you're pursuing and pursuing and pursuing, but you're going to find it, what? With God. He already has it. You seek first the kingdom of God, his righteousness. All these other things shall be added unto you. And so I think it's important that God is the one that when we come to him empty, we come to him bankrupt, God says, listen, I'm going to fill you. I am going to fill you. 
And so what he does is when morning had come, Jesus stood on the shore. Yet the disciples didn't know that it was Jesus. And in verse 5, he said, children, have you any food? And at this point, they answered him, no. Now, most people think that that is a miracle. Because when you ask a fisherman, have you caught anything? That they're usually going to say, well, there's a one that got away or there's, there's something. But they just simply say, no. There, there, there's no fisherman's tale. There's no fisherman about one that got away. They simply say no. And I think it's important that, that here Jesus is starting this conversation. The conversation is, are you empty? Are you bankrupt? Do you have nothing? And they have to admit, yeah, we got nothing. We got nothing. So do you have anything to eat? Do you have something? And they go, no, we have nothing. So verse 6, then he says, cast the net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. Now, I want you to notice that in your Bible, if you have the word some in it, that word some should be in italics. And if it's in italics, what that means is this, that it's not there in the original language, it's not there in the Greek. Jesus is literally saying, cast your net on the right side of the boat and you will find it's just not, not some. He says, you will find. You will find what you're looking for. You, you, you let me direct you. You let me direct your work. And so he's letting them know that the success that they have in, 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 in this catch they want, the bearing of fruit, was not due to their knowledge of fishing, was not due to their passion of fishing, and I think so often as Christians, we have to know this. We think, because of my knowledge, I can do a work for God. It's not because of your knowledge. Because of my passion, my love for God, I'm going to do something. Because of my love for the ministry, it isn't any of that. They had a knowledge. They had a passion. I'm going fishing. There's nothing else. I want to go fishing. This is what I want to do. And I think it's so important to recognize here that as they come the only time they could bear fruit is what? When Jesus guides them, when Jesus leads them, when Jesus speaks to them. And at his leading, then what? Then they're going to have fruit. At his leading, then they're going to see results. But it's so important that, that without him, they could do nothing with his leading. Now they catch this amazing amount. And through that, we begin to see this incredible work that God is doing. And so here, when he says, have you any food? They say, no. He said, cast your net on the right side, verse 6. And then, so they cast, and now they were not able to draw it in because of the multitude of fish. At this point, they had listened to the Lord, and they now have and abundance. And I think it's so important for you and I to be listening to the Lord, to be listening to his word, to, to recognize that, that through his word comes what? Comes blessings. Comes blessings. There's a passage, and I think you are aware of it already. It's found in Psalm 19, where it, it opens up the heavens, declare the glory of the Lord. But in verse 7 through 11... I love how it brings, because it says this, the law of the Lord is perfect. The law is perfect, converting the soul. 
The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The statutes of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. He talks about the witness, and he talks about the commands. He talks about the reverence and the justice of God. And then he says in verse 10, More to be desired are they than gold, yea, than much fine gold. Sweeter also than honey in the honeycomb. Then in verse 11, he says this, Moreover, by them your servant is warned. Then he says this, And in keeping them there is what? Great reward. Absolutely incredible to see here how God begins to speak out this truth. Listening to his word, there's going to be a reward. Following his ways, there's going to be a reward. And so when Jesus says simply, cast the net on the right side of the boat, you will find... And and so they cast it, and they were not able to draw it in because of the multitude of fish. The same thing that happened back when he asked Peter, hey, can I use your boat? I'm going to use your boat. Launch me out. They had so much, they filled two boats with fish. That's a lot of fish, so much so the net was breaking. And at this point, we begin to see here as God begins to direct their work. The the success is now following the word of God, seeking him. And as they do so, now you have John discerns it's the Lord. I love verse 7. He simply says, Therefore the disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, It is the Lord. When he recognizes himself, he'd already said the sons of Zebedee, referring to himself, was one of the seven who came. And as he recognizes that, as he makes that declaration, now he puts himself back into the picture. And once again, he doesn't call himself by his name. He doesn't say me or I, but he says the disciple whom Jesus loved. And he said to Peter, it is the Lord. It's amazing that here John discerns. Now, I don't know if anyone else was thinking it in the boat, but John was the one who made the statement in the boat. And if people weren't thinking about it, they are now. And he makes a statement, it is the Lord. Now when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment, for he had removed it, and he plunged into the sea. It's amazing that here we see now a list of doers. And everyone has something different that they're going to do. Simon Peter has one desire on his heart. I need to get to the Lord. That's his whole mindset. I'm, i got to go. I got to go, guys. And he leaves. He leaves the other six in the boat. And, and he leaves them to say what? I trust you guys got this. You guys got this. I don't, I don't have to do it all myself. I don't have to be the one to do everything. Right now, I need to go before the Lord. And it's a beautiful thing when we recognize that we do not have to do all these things on our own. I love the fact that they're in the early church where the disciples had come to the point and the apostles were recognizing that there were complaints against the Hebrews by the Hellenists. And because they believed that their widows were being neglected during the daily distribution. 
And amazingly, what happens is this, that they come and they say, listen, we can't do it all. We, we can't do it all. It's not desirable that we should leave the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, seek out among you seven men of good reputation for the Holy Spirit of wisdom that we may appoint over this business. It's an amazing thing to have servants. Those that come alongside and minister. I have been truly blessed that what God does in this fellowship is he simply raises up servants. I can go through and I can look at the, the, the body and I can say servant, 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 servant. And I just, they are servant. They do different things at different times, but their heart is to serve. And no matter who comes in, they, they find a way, how can I minister to you? Can I pray with you? Can I just get to know you? And it's, it's an, a beautiful thing when, when people come in and they literally are welcomed in as if they're family. Now understand, I can't do it all. And what's amazing is this, there are a lot of times that like Peter, I just have to go before the Lord. Before Sunday and before Wednesday, I'm there, I'm seeking the Lord, I'm there praying over the message, God, is there anything you want changed? What do you want? And, and I want to have a clear word to speak to the people, and I want it to be your word in your heart, and let it be your power, praying over the word. And you would be amazed on how much my outlines get changed from the time I get into this building to the time I get to the pulpit. It changes. And as I'm going before the Lord, guess what the rest of the men and women are doing? They're serving the body. They're taking care of the rest of the business. And this is what Peter does. Now, now I want you to understand that when Peter hears it's the Lord, Peter, we, we talk about him being a little impulsive. He hears it's the Lord, and what does he do? Now, I want to, to let you know, he doesn't just jump in. What Peter does is this. He actually puts on his outer garment. He gets dressed for the Lord. He puts on this, this outer garment, and he then plunges in so that, that he can go to the Lord. Now, now, when he puts on this outer garment, I just recognize this, that this is something that is, is not a bad thing. Because why? He... It's something that is needed. But he leaves behind what? Other things that he really doesn't need, things that would hinder him. See, the garment isn't going to hinder him coming before the Lord. But if I have to start dragging fish and swimming with the fish, that's going to be a problem. If I got to wait for you guys in the boat to, to row there, that's going to be a problem. And so he leaves the things behind that would hinder him coming to the Lord. But the beautiful thing is he only leaves those things that would stop him from coming quickly before the Lord. And I think it's important, and I love it how the, the, the men of this fellowship, they've recognized that when I'm there praying before a message, rarely do people come and knock on the door because they don't want to detract from what God is doing. They don't want to hinder that that going before the Lord. And this is what Peter does. If it's going to stop me, hinder me from coming before the Lord, I want to wait on that. Talk to me after the service. It's a perfect time to do so. Before the service, you know, and you're coming, you're giving me bad news, bad time to do that. Wait till after. And, and, and what I love is the men of the body, they're there watching over there. They're protecting. They're, they're serving. They're doing what they're doing. And I love the fact that here, he doesn't take everything with him, nor does he leave everything back. 
And, and I think that so often we begin to see that there are times that things aren't necessary in the journey. I love it there. Remember when we went through John chapter 4? And we went through John chapter 4. We looked at verse 28 where he saw the woman at the well. And what did the woman do? Amazingly, she didn't take her water pot back to the city. She left her water pot there with Jesus. You need this more than I do. My goal is to get back to the city and tell people about you. That's what I need. The water pot would hinder me. And I think so often as Christians, it's a good thing to say, is there something that is in my life that is hindering me from coming before the Lord? And sometimes it's important to what? Leave it. Leave it. If it's, if it's there and, and it's stopping you from getting before the Lord, it's going to slow you down from just running to Christ. I think sometimes there is a necessity that we let these things go. And Peter didn't care about anything else. I'm going to take my outer garment. I'm going to jump in. I'm going to go before the Lord. And I'm going to leave everything else up to you, knowing that you guys got this absolutely in control. And so I love the fact that here Peter recognize I don't have to wait and get this done. I don't have to do it all. I've got to do what God is leading me to do. And so he jumps in, he goes before the Lord. Peter goes to Christ and others continue in the work. And that's the beautiful thing about having a body. That, that, that there is a church, a group of men and women that love to seek the Lord. And so here when Jesus comes and he makes a statement as Peter plunges into the sea now in verse 8, the other disciples, or verse 7, he plunges into the sea, verse 8, the other disciples came in a little boat, for they were not far from land, but about 200 cubits dragging the net with a fish. So they were about 200 cubits. Now, what is 200 cubits? We've talked about this before, but a cubit is the approximate length of an average man's arm that goes from the tip of his middle finger to his elbow. On an average man, that's about 18 inches. So if, it, if that's 18 inches, if you double it, it's what? 36 inches, it's a yard. So two cubits equal a yard, and so 200 cubits equal what? 100 yards. So you're looking at about 300 feet. So what Peter does is he just dives in. It's just a football field. I got a 100-yard dash. That's all I'm doing. I'm just going to get there. And, and so I'm going I'm to cruise. I'm going to get there. And the others are now dragging the net in behind them. And verse 9, then as soon as they'd come to the land, they saw the coals of fire there, the fish laid on it, the bread. And Jesus said, bring me some of the fish which you just caught. I love the fact that as they come now, Jesus already has what they're looking for and more. This is so important to recognize in our own walks. There's things that we're pursuing, things that we're pursuing, things that we're pursuing. And I want to tell you, Jesus already has it. If you seek first the kingdom of God, his righteousness, you're seeking after Jesus, all these things are found with him. But when you're pursuing it, guess what? Many times, like disciples, you're going to come up empty-handed, empty-handed, empty-handed. All night, you're toiling in the darkness. You're toiling, you're toiling, and you're catching nothing. Yet Jesus says what? You're wait for my direction. If I tell you a word, you're going to get abundance. But know this. I already have what you're looking for. You don't have to pursue it on your own. 
I already have it here. And I love the fact that there's already a coal of fire there. There's already fish laid on it and their bread. So you have the, the coal, you have the fish, you have the bread. Jesus now in verse 10 said to them, so he, he's talking to the disciples that have now brought in the fish. And he says, bring some of the fish which you have just caught. So what he's asking, give me a couple of fish. And what does Peter do? Well, Simon Peter, verse 11, went up and dragged the net to land full of large fish, 153. And though there were so many, the net was not broken. This is incredible. He asked for some fish. So what does Peter do? He brings the entire net worth of fish. I love Peter. Peter is never one to just go in increments. Remember in John 13 when he was washing the disciples' feet? And, and, and he said, listen, what I'm doing you don't understand now. And Peter says, Lord, you shall never wash my feet. And so Jesus said, what? If I do not wash you, you have no part with me. And so what does Peter do? Lord, not my feet only, but my hands and my head. Do it all, Lord. Just, 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 just soak me down. And I love the fact that Peter, when he chooses to do something, does not do it in increments. And he just gives it all. And, and, you know, it's one of those things where I don't know if you've ever heard the passage that you should love the Lord with some of your heart, with some of your mind, with a little of your strength, and a bit of your soul. No, it doesn't say that. Love the Lord with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, all your strength. It's just not an increment. Peter doesn't do things in increments. The Lord needs some fish. Lord, I got a whole net here for you. He doesn't want any of it. Do you understand that he said, it's all yours now? And then they make a count on it. They recognize there's 153 fish that are here. And so amazingly, just Peter goes and he, all by himself, he's like, I don't need you six anymore. I got this. Just Peter just grabs on it, hucks all these fish up to the Lord. And although there were so many, I love the fact that the net was not broken. There's a note, and I think it's important to, to just kind of recognize what's happening because here at this point, when it talks about the, the, the net not breaking, the, the net is, is absolutely still good. Remember there when we read that passage in the Gospel of Luke chapter 5 that we had noticed that the net was breaking. There's a lot of scholars who say that what Jesus was doing initially in the preaching of the word of God and sending them out was what? This is evangelism. You evangelize to as many as you can. But there will be some who get away. The net is breaking. And, and, and so recognize there's going to be a haul, but there are going to be some who get away. This is salvation. Not one is lost. I love the difference of the two as, as the, the scholars begin to point this out and and so as we're looking at this meal, we see that what the disciples were searching for, the Lord had already had it. And what, what, their, their, what they had at one point labored for, the Lord now feeds them there. And, and so 
This is such a beautiful understanding of what begins to happen here with the Lord. And so when Peter brings it, the net isn't broken. In verse 12, Jesus said to them, come and eat breakfast. It's already prepared. I love the fact that when you go before the Lord, it's already done. He could say what? Breakfast is finished. Isn't that just like the Lord? It's finished. It's finished. It's finished. Come and eat breakfast. And yet none of the disciples dared ask him, who are you, knowing that it was the Lord? I love the fact that at this point, no one is speaking. The other disciples are there and no one's saying a word. John had already said, hey, it's the Lord. Peter already dove in. But now as they're sitting down having this breakfast, I love the fact that none of them dared ask him, who are you? They didn't say, who are you? They, 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 were, they were thinking it was the Lord. They were pretty certain it was the Lord, but they didn't want to find out that it was something different. And Jesus now comes and he takes the bread and he gave it to them. Again, just like they're in the upper room, takes the bread, hands it out. And of course, when you're handing out the bread, they see the, the wounds there, the scars. And as he hands out the bread, he hands out the fish. John now makes this declaration in verse 14. This is the third time Jesus showed himself to disciples after he was raised from the dead. We begin to see that here, this is, John says, it's, it's that third time. They eat breakfast. And in verse 15, when they'd eaten breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonah, I don't know if you recognize the enormity of that statement. There at the very beginning of the Gospel of John, in John chapter 1, beginning in verse 40, and I'm going to read down to verse 42. It declares in John chapter 1, verse 40, one of the two who heard John speak and followed him was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. So he recognizes John is saying it. This is Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. And at first he found his own brother, Simon. And he said to him, we have found the Messiah, which is translated Christ. And he, that is Andrew, brought him, which is Simon, to Jesus now, when Jesus looked at him, he said, you are Simon, the son of Jonah. Absolutely amazing. He calls him, you are Simon, the son of Jonah. But then he does something amazing. You shall be called Cephas. In the Greek, it's Petros. We would call it Peter. He said, you are Simon, son of Jonah. You shall be called Cephas. You shall be called Peter, which is translated a stone. And I love the fact that he gives Simon Peter a new name. He gives Simon, son of Jonah, the name Peter. And that's why he's known as Simon Peter. The name that, that he was given, Simon, and then the Lord gave him Peter. You're now the stone. You're, you're this, this rock. But amazingly, when he now comes before him, Jesus doesn't call him Cephas. 
Amazing, he takes them all the way back to the beginning. Simon, son of Jonah. Wait, wait, wait. You gave me a new name. Now we're going back to the old name. Don't worry about it. We're still good, though. But he takes him back to the beginning. He takes him back to when he first met the Lord. And when he first meets the Lord, amazingly, that so often when we first meet the Lord, what do we know of him? He loves us, and in his grace, he forgives us. I mean, who isn't the believer that, that when you are the sinner and you come to know Christ and you come to Christ and you cry out to Jesus, say, Jesus, I know that you died on the cross for my sins. I know that, that you were separated. Would you just come into my heart as my Lord and Savior? I know you are the Messiah. I know that's who you are. And then when we ask him to say, please come into my heart, forgive me of my sins, what do we recognize? We by faith believe that what? He's come into our lives. He's forgiven us our sins. The first thing that we recognize about the Lord is his love and his grace. But then something happens. We mature. We mature, and then we're like, well, no, no, I'm not just this baby Christian. Now I'm a more mature Christian. Then you recognize that the things that I want to do, I don't find myself doing. The things that I don't want to do, I find myself doing. And then we call ourselves what? Oh, wretched man that I am. Who will deliver me from this body of flesh? And then the answer that we learn, like Paul, it's Jesus but when we as more mature believers recognize that we're not where we want to be, we failed in miserable ways, what we need to do is just come back to the first understanding of who Jesus is. Why? Because the first understanding that we had of Jesus is he loves us and through his grace and his work on the cross, he has forgiven us. By grace, we have been saved through faith. And that's not of ourselves. It's a gift of God. If we've been saved by grace, come back to that grace. And I think it's so important to, to come back to that place of recognizing, Jesus, I've got to come back to the place where your love and your grace and I'm forgiven. And, and we, we sometimes fail to do that. And what Jesus does so beautifully is he brings Peter back to the first moment they met where what? All I knew you is love and grace. That's all I know. And you know what? Stick with that. As you grow in the Lord, stick with that. Don't leave that. Don't think that, wow, now you've changed. Listen, he is the same yesterday, today, and forever. The Lord does not change. In the same way that in his love and his grace, he calls you and saves you. In his love and his grace, he does what? He sustains you. And he carries you. And he's going to renew you. No, 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 don't get me wrong. This is going to be a sanctifying work that Peter's going to have. And so through this message the Lord begins to do, the first time, the first thing that he does is he brings Peter back to what? His first understanding of his meeting Jesus, where Jesus says, I'm giving you a new name. But he calls him back before that, before the new name, before I started doing anything. What did you know of me? You came to me, what? As the Messiah, as your God, as your king, as forgiveness. 
And so amazingly, when they'd eaten breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? It's a sad thing that we don't have better words in our English language. And I wish that so often we would have little parentheses stating what kind of love it is. There's a beautiful thing that in the Greek there are multiple words for love. And in those words for love, they bring about different meanings of of what this love actually is. There's a word in the Greek that's called agape. And the term agape means that you are completely given over to this. God agapes us. He loves us. But the term he uses is agape. God loved the world. Agape. He was completely given over to. The Pharisees loved. They agaped the best seats in the house. They were completely given over to a status. And, And what the Lord does is this is he comes to Simon and he says, Simon, do you love me? Do you agape me? And then he says this, more than these. You agape me more than these. Now, I don't know if he's pointing at the fish. I don't know if he's pointing at the other disciples. I don't know if he's pointing at the boat. I don't know what the these are. And I wish he would have said, do you love me more than, but I'll be glad. I'm, I'm kind of grateful. I wish he would have been direct, but I'm grateful that, that I don't know what it is. And so know this, point at anything you want and then say, do you love that more than Jesus? So in that sense, I'm kind of glad that it was generic. Do you love me more than point at anything? I pointed disciples, pointed, pointed everything. Do you love me more than these? The, 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 the whole world that's here, the ocean, the, the sea, the fish, the, 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 the comrades you have. Do you love me more than these? And amazingly, Peter had once said, what? Lord, if everyone forsakes you, I will not. <laughs> I will not. Jesus said, listen, Peter, you're going to deny me three times. And he did. He denied the Lord three times. But now he gets an opportunity to confess the Lord. And this is the first time that he gets to confess him. And so he says, hey, do you agape me more than these? And he said to him, this is Peter saying to the Lord, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. But understand that there's another word in the Greek. And the word is phileo. Where we get that city of Philadelphia, the city of brotherly love. God says, are you completely given over to me? And Peter says, I love you like a friend. In other words, it would be like, I love you, man. That's kind of a thing. I, I, you're a good buddy. That, that's, that's good. I, I love you like a friend. I'm, I'm fond of you in that way. And you know what? Jesus doesn't correct him. He doesn't rebuke him. Now, now Peter cannot go up to the standard of the Lord. He doesn't do that this time. He doesn't say, hey, listen, if everyone, of course I agape Jesus. No, no, I'm not going to boast in myself. I will boast in you. And so when he says to you agape, he says, Lord, I, I, I love you like a friend. And so the Lord then gives him this commission. I love the fact that in this passage here from verses 15 through 17, there are going to be three questions, three replies, and three commissions. It's a beautiful thing that we see because he first asked the question, do you agape me? Peter gives him an answer. Lord, you know that I love you like a friend. 
And so he said to him, feed my lambs. Would you share my word with babies? Babies. Would you be willing to teach little children? Now, 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 now sometimes it's just what? New Christians. Are you willing to talk to new Christians? Are you willing to do children's ministry? Are you willing to do the least of these? See, so often when people come to know the Lord, the first thing they want to do is this. They want to say, Lowell, you can just sit down and relax now. I'll take over for you. Let me just take the pulpit. I'll teach it. I got this covered now. And and I love the fact that he says, are you willing to share me with babies? Feed my lambs. Do you understand? Lambs the little ones. And I think so. It, it's so important to be willing to, first and foremost, begin to teach your family, teach your friends, teach your children, your grandchildren, teach everyone you can, share with them the word of God. Do you have a desire to tell anyone and everyone, babies, if you will, of the truth of Jesus Christ. And so he says, feed my lambs, teach them. Well, verse 16, he then says the second time, second question, second response, second commission. He said, Simon, son of Jonah, keeps the same name. Do you love me? Do you agape me? And he said to him, Lord, you know that I, again, Peter lowers it to phileo you. You know, I love you like a friend. Jesus says, your love up here. Peter says, my love's down here. I, I like you a lot kind of a thing. I'm, I'm really fond of you kind of a thing. And so the Lord gives him the third, the second commission. He says, tend my sheep. It's almost as if God is trying to teach us the steps in the ministry. What we see is this. First, share with babies. Share your faith with anyone and everyone who will hear. And then as you mature, the second thing is what? Tend my sheep. Serve in the body of Christ. Would you be willing to serve the body? Are you willing to minister to the body? Not get up and teach the body, not stand before the body, but but to serve the body. First, talk to everyone you can about the Lord, the babies, and then you grow into what? Being a servant in the church. Tend my sheep. It's almost like God is teaching the path of ministry. The path of ministry, you get excited about the word and tell everyone you can about him. And then what? As you mature, begin to be a servant in the church. Tend my sheep. Verse 17, he said to him a third time, Simon, son of Jonah. Now, this is the kicker. He doesn't say, do you agape me? He now lowers himself to the standard of Peter. So in verse 17, when he says to him a third time, Simon, son of Jonah, he says, do you phileo me? Do you love me like a friend? Now, Peter was grieved because he said to him a third time, do you phileo me? You understand, when when Jesus said, do you love me? He says, I love you. Jesus said, I love you. Do you love me? He says, I love you. Jesus said, do you love me? He says, I love you. Then Peter goes grieving. That makes no sense in the English. But in the Greek, it makes perfect sense. Where he says, are you here? Peter says, I'm there. Jesus goes, are you here? Peter says, I'm there. And the third time, Jesus says, are you here? And Peter weeps. 
He's grieved because Jesus had to come down to his level that he couldn't come up. He wasn't going to make that statement. And so when he says a third time, Simon, son of Jonah, calling him the name that he first called him when he met him, do you phileo me? Peter was grieved because he said to him a third time, do you phileo me? And he said to him, Lord, you know all things. You know that I phileo you. That's where I'm at. And I love what Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Feed them. I actually have that etched onto my Bible cover. Feed my sheep. And it is something that, that he, he has called me to do. Now, now, keep in mind, my first ministry was just to my children, to my wife, to my friends. It was to the babies. Then I began to serve the church. And eventually God had, had called me and anointed me and, and had moved me into proclaiming his word to his sheep, feeding sheep. And this has become the place where I now minister, the feeding of the sheep. And I love the fact that when, when he, he now says to him, feed my sheep, so there's this progression, feed my lambs, tend the sheep, become a servant, and then feed the sheep. Then, then, then begin to, to communicate the word to the body as a whole. And when he told Peter that you are going to come to this point of maturing, he doesn't end there. It's not like, okay, you're, you're going you're to start here. You're going to start on the bottom. You're going to feed the lambs. Then you're going to move up to here. And now you're going you're to tend the sheep. And then you're going to feed the sheep. And when you got there, now you've got it. That's not it. Because notice the next thing that Jesus says, most assuredly. The word in the Greek is verily, verily, or truly, truly, amen, or amen. Was how we would, re, how we would respond to it. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were younger, you girded yourself and you walked where you wished. When you're old, you stretch out your hand and another will gird you and carry you where you do not wish. This he spoke, signifying by which death he would glorify God. And when he had spoken this, he said to him, follow me. Absolutely amazingly that here Jesus tells Peter there's one more step. That you are going to follow me into the path of death. That I have a prophecy concerning your death that you have to recognize that I appoint the death of my servants. I appoint the time of the death of my servants and nothing's outside of my control. And I think it's important to trust that. So you can do a whole lot of things in the service of the Lord, but to trust that he is in control of my destiny of every part of my destiny, that, that there is this understanding that the Lord of life is the one who tells me what? He appoints it when it's done. He says that the life on this side is done, the new life is begun. And I think it's important to recognize that this is so incredible. This is the mature Christian. 
You can stand up before and you can talk to people about the word of God, but the last and final maturing of a believer is trusting God in your death. Trusting God at the end. And I'll be honest with you, there's a lot of people who, when as a pastor, I go and I'm there at the last moments of people's lives, and there's some who are absolutely terrified. There are even Christian believers, and I know they know the Lord. I know they're, they're saved, and yet they're, 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 they're shaken, and they're terrified, and they really don't want to go. And then there's others. There's others who are like, God, come and take me. We're good. We're good. I have no regrets. God, just come and take me. And I'll tell you what, that, that's maturity, to recognize that, that God is the one who appoints the when the how of our deaths. And he does this to Peter. He says, this, this, is, this is the maturing that you're going to do when you trust me to the end. And of course, in verse 19, this he spoke signifying by what death he would glorify God. And when he had spoken this, he said, follow me. Do you understand that there, there, there's something about feeding the lambs or something about tending the sheep? There's something about feeding the sheep, but there's something more important about following him. Do you reckon you can do all these things, you're not following him, then what? Then you're just, I'm going fishing. And you're going to get nothing. And I think it's so important to recognize the heart of this. He says, follow me. Just me. Come and follow me. Now when he does this, when he does this, as the Lord begins to speak of Peter, of his destiny, at this point, Peter turns around, verse 20, saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following, who also had leaned on his breast at the supper and said, Lord, who is this who betrays you? Of course, we recognize that that was John. And as he had done that, now Peter, seeing him, says to Jesus, Lord, what about this man? What's his destiny? I want to know what, what, what his destiny is. I know what mine is. And where, where Peter's destiny was what? He was going to go to the same way, that others were going to gird him. When he was younger, he girded himself. Now others are going to gird him. And they're going to take him to the cross. And Peter amazingly, according to history, says, I'm not worthy to be crucified in the way of my Lord. Crucify me upside down. He wasn't even felt worthy to be crucified in the same way. But now he's worried not about his destiny. He's worried about John's destiny. Now, Jesus had spoken to Peter about his destiny, and now Peter wants even more data about someone else's destiny, about John's. And, and so Peter says, seeing him, verse 21, says to Jesus, Lord, what about this man? And Jesus said to him, if I will that he remain till I come, what is that to you? You follow me. Don't worry about him. Worry about you. Don't, don't, don't focus on him. Focus on you. And I think it's so important that, that we as Christians, so often we want everyone else to be 
walking in this way and walking in this way. And I want to know where you're at and what God is doing with you. And I'll tell you what, he says, focus on you and me. So often our focus is on everyone else. How often do you read the word and you say, wow, this is a perfect word for my friend so-and-so. This is a perfect word for my cousin so-and-so. This is a perfect word for my son or, or for you know, my, my daughter or, or for my friend or for my spouse. This is a perfect word for fill in the blank. Understand, God is saying, this is my love letter to you. It's for me and my spirit to get into your heart to challenge you. This is not a book for you to look to everyone else and to find out where they're at. This is a litmus test of your heart in God. And I love what he does. He just corrects him. He says, don't, don't worry about him. If I will that he remain till I come, if I want him not to die, what is that to you? Peter, you are going to die. I've already told you that I am the Lord over your life. I'm the Lord over your death, the when and the how. I'm in control. And it's not for you to be concerned about this one. And then John puts in this little addendum in verse 23. Then the saying went out among the brethren that this disciple would not die. Yet Jesus didn't say to him that he would not die, but that if I will that he remain till I come. And of course, it was one of those things when he was boiled in oil and he didn't die, they're like, wow, this, this gotta be true. Then he's, he's, he's exiled to Patmos at 100 years and he's still not dying. It's gotta be true. And that's not what he said. He said, if I will it. Now, not that he was going to do it. And so John brings a correction to the rumors. And I love the fact that Jesus, again, very simply, very lovingly, just brings Peter back to a truth. You don't worry about him. It means nothing to you. That is his relationship with me. And I'll take care of that because I'm the Lord of his life as much as I'm the Lord of the appointment of his death. Don't worry, I'm in control. And so when I'm, when I'm maturing you, you're going to recognize in the death, you're going to follow me, you're going to serve me. And as you do that, that, that's going to be your ministry to me, focusing on me. And then in verse 24, he just wraps it up saying, this is the disciple who testifies of these things. And he wrote these things, and we know that his testimony is true. And there are many other things which Jesus did, which if they were written one by one, I suppose that even the, the world itself could not contain the books that would be written, amen. It's absolutely amazing that he recognizes the, the, the depth of the events of the life of Jesus. Say, listen, I've, I've written these things, and I've written these things specifically that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ. That, that's why I've written what I've written. I could have written much more. There could have been more than 22 chapters. I could have written books and volumes and volumes and books. And the world could not contain all that would be written of, of what he has done. And the enormity and the depth of what he has done. But I'm writing these things simply though that what? That you can believe. And I think sometimes there's just this need that, you know what? When it's done, it's done. When you've said it, you've said it. And you don't have to go beyond. You don't have to convince. I love what Jesus, 
or what, what God did there at the beginning in the book of Genesis. He created on the first day, created on the second day, created on the third day, fourth day, fifth day, sixth day, and then what? Then he was done. He didn't keep on creating, like, oh, I got to keep creating because that's what I do. I'm a creator. No, 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 you can be finished. You can be finished. And when it comes to the gospel of John, we are. Amen? Amen. <laughs> Father, we are so grateful for this word, so grateful that, that you, Lord, would take and again reveal yourself to the disciples. And as you do, you would give us valuable, valuable lessons I believe that there's not one event that you would ever do in your life that is not speaking volumes. Lord, you can sleep through storms and it speaks volumes. You can cast out demons and it speaks volumes. You can walk on water, it speaks volumes. You can turn water into wine and it speaks volumes. You can put fish in nets and it speaks volumes. You can send Peter out to catch one fish and have a coin in its mouth, and it speaks volumes. You can approach Matthew, the tax collector, and tell him, follow you, and it speaks volumes. There's not anything that you did, anything that you said, anything that you would accomplish that didn't speak volumes. You would die on a cross and in your death, all the events that people would do around you would speak volumes. It would prove that you were who you said you were. You were dead, and yet scripture after scripture says they did this because it is written. They did this to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet. You're dead, and you're still completing, fulfilling prophecy after prophecy of who you are. This is you. And we're so grateful that John would write these words. As he write these words, that he wouldn't depict you as king like Matthew. He wouldn't depict you as a servant like Mark. He wouldn't depict you as a man who was led by the Spirit like Luke, but he would depict you, Jesus, as you are, as God. That he would declare, this is God. In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word became flesh. And we begin to see the tie-ins of so many things that you do through your word. That there would be empty water pots. And you would tell them, fill them with water. There'd be empty nets and you'd say, fill it with fish. There'd be people who would be in need and saying, we have no wine. And you would say, listen, I got this covered. Disciples, we have no fish. You got this covered. That is who you are, Lord. That is just who you are. There is no exception to the absolute power of the statement in the volume of the book it was written of you to do his will. And we're so grateful that you have, so grateful that you've revealed yourself in this way. And so we're asking that we who believe would be strengthened. We who believe would mature. We who believe would grow. And that, Lord, that you would ask us every day, where are you with me? That we would not boast in our positions. It's not boasting on how much we love you, but how much you loved us. When you say, do you agape me? You can say, I don't know, but I know you agape us. 
This is what we know. And Peter would say that. He would say the love of Christ. He would make those statements of how much you loved. So teach us to trust. Teach us to, one, focus on us and you and minding our own business and that we would follow you. We would trust that you would be the Lord in others' lives. We would not try to fix and control them because before their own master, they would stand to fall. You, Lord, are able to make them stand. So teach us, Lord. Teach us to grow in our faith, to trust in you in all things, especially when it folds to the, to the final time that you are the, the, the Lord who appoints us to life, and you're also going to be the Lord who appoints us to eternal life, and that we trust. So continue to knit our hearts, challenge us through this word we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.